This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. It's 7.46 and thanks for staying with us here on The Morning Run. You're with Julian and Chuang. The Semenye by-election is taking place tomorrow and we'll see a four-cornered fight between all the major parties, including PSM, as well as an independent candidate. Uh, The weeks and days leading up to tomorrow has been strong campaigning from all around. Uh, Tunmahate has uh, spoken at a large drama last night uh, and also BN is holding the ground as well. Yeah, and the Socialist Party have been focusing on young people, the Chinese voters, past followers, and of course, what's at stake? According to Bridget Welsh, the Professor of Political Science at John Cabot University, this by-election, although will not affect the balance of power in Selangor State, the outcome might further consolidate Malaysia's new political alliance and potentially constrain the prospects for reform. And we just saw Cameron Highlands. Cameron Highlands reverted to Baris on hand, so... Correct. It's so all getting very interesting. A PH loss in this election uh, will embolden the BN coalition. Uh, and this is going to be, Samini is going to be a test of whether PH is able to maintain a non Malay support in the urban areas. An indication of this is whether voters would go to the polls at all. Yeah, in the last general election, PH captured the Samania state from Bien with a majority of nearly 9,000 votes. But of course, that seat fell vacant following the death of the incumbents, uh, Bakhtia Mohamed Noor, 57 years old, on Jan 11th, following a heart attack. So weighing in on this issue and a possible outcome at the Samania polls is Ben Sufian, Program Director at the Polster Medica Centre. Ben, uh, thanks for joining us this morning. So uh, I guess the first question is, how important is this state assembly seat win for the ruling government after having lost Cameron's? Uh, thanks, guys, for having me on. I mean, this is uh, a fairly important uh, contest, you know, because uh, like uh, you said, while it doesn't really change the balance of power nationally or even in the state of Selangor, Semenya in many ways is a bellwether of sorts for the kinds of seats that Pakatan Harapan needs to win in order to retain power in a future general election. And this is largely you know, governed or ruled by the ethnic politics uh, that uh, underlines the way political contestation is shaped here in Malaysia. And Semenya being a nearly 70% Malay constituency has been with Barisan National since independence, except for the May 2018 election where it slipped into Pakatan Harapan. You know? And so... If we look at the better lines in terms of the voter demographics, it's quite interesting that while in 2018, Pakatan Harapan retained nearly 9,000 majority, but if we totaled up the number of votes for opposition parties and compared that to Pakatan Harapan, uh, the difference is merely less than 2% overall. So it is quite a contested place. Well, Ben, given that this is a, that this is a constituency of urban voters with a strong youth base, which party's messaging do you think would appeal to the constituents the most? Well, I think both parties have uh, equal footing in terms of accessing and trying to persuade the voters. You know, Samanye with a 70% Malay ethnicity and relatively young uh, voter base are largely made up of working class voters you know, are persuaded by both Pakatan Harapan's as well as Barisan National's messaging. Pakatan Harapan is trying to sell its reforms and also trying to persuade voters that it needs more time in order to make good on its promises that will eventually bear fruit, economic fruits uh, for the voters. At the same time, Barisan National is now, as an opposition, attacking Pakatan Harapan for its flip-flops and U-turns and criticising Pakatan Harapan for 
its inability to deliver on key planks of its uh, manifesto uh, in May. Uh, so both uh, parties have strong sense in terms of support. But I think in this area, because of its large money base, Barisan uh, National actually has a slight advantage, largely because young Malay voters uh, seems to be the segment that is uh, most disenchanted with Pakatan Harapan since the May 2018 election. And also, Ben, the situation with PSM is also quite interesting uh, because when you look at uh, Barisan National, I mean, they have Bosku, right? Najib's uh, popularity, a uh, pass is focusing on racial politics. And then we have Pakatan Harapan trying to manage expectations on their election promises. How do you think uh, PSM will market themselves and how would voters take to it? Well, in Pakatan, uh, well, PSM, I think, is experimenting with a young candidate uh, by the name of uh, Aziz. Uh, and and he I think has uh, been has come out at least on social media being forthright about his economic standing and his plans for the constituency. Uh, however, uh, looking at how PSM has performed in Somalia before, and this is not the first time uh, PSM did contest many in many elections before, it has generally garnered perhaps about two two to four percent, five percent perhaps of the overall votes uh, in Somalia. And uh, there's a bit of question as to whether these votes are due to the party and its uh, ideology or whether there's an element of ethnic voting there because the previous candidate, S. Aruchelvan, you know, had strong following from the Indian voters, which made up about 15-16% of the voters there. But PSM switching to a Malay Muslim candidate will test that premise, whether it's ideology, whether it is ideology or ethnic voting that accounts for it's sizable support within the Somalia voters. So I think in this particular by-election, uh, people are going to go for the two largest parties. PSM might lose a bit of his votes that he has gained in the past two or three elections. Yeah, Ben, earlier you mentioned that there was a certain disenchantment uh, among the urban, uh, among the youth, um, the Malay youth in Somalia. What specifically are they disenchanted with? And what are the chances that they might not even turn up to the ballot boxes to vote? Yeah, I mean, uh, when we look at, you know, sentiments expressed by younger voters here defined as those below 40 years old, you know, we noted that in the May 2018th election, many of them voted not just because of the corruption and the perceived wrongdoings of the previous administration, but many voted out of frustration with rising cost of living and the impact played by GST on household income and, and, and ability to make ends meet. Uh, and I think it is basically this issue, this cost of living issue, that has created a level of... Uh, unhappiness or dissatisfaction amongst young voters because they expected quick turnaround from Pakatan Harapan and I think had you know too high expectations on the ability of the new administration to make good on this. Uh, this is one factor. The second factor is that there was a hype uh, of, of a protest vote against Pakistan National in 2018. It is no longer there. Uh, and the new government is facing issues in trying to explain uh, its position to the public vis-a-vis -vis cost of living. So I think when we look at the numbers and the recent series of by-elections, particularly in Selangor, which has an, had an inordinate share of by-elections, we notice that turnout rates have been quite low, especially amongst young people. And it is also different along ethnic groups. We notice that Chinese voters, for example, turn out in the lowest numbers in Selangor compared to Malay voters. And so there is a strong likelihood that voter turnout is going to be depressed particularly amongst younger voters, in part because they are not happy with the choices that they have, 
They are not happy with Barisan National Law. They uh, and they're a bit disappointed with Pakatan Harapan. And amongst younger non-Malay voters, uh, they are also unhappy with Pakatan Harapan. But maybe many couldn't bring themselves to vote for Barisan National in order to protest. Thank you so much uh, for joining us this morning. And that was Ben Sufian of Medica Center weighing in on the uh, Samini by election for tomorrow. And it's very interesting, uh, the conflicting views of Ben Sufian uh, compared to Tapsil, whom we were talking about, uh, about how the um, impressions of Katan Harapan has improved over the course of the last year. Yeah, well, don't forget that Ross Tapsil, uh, lectures of the Australian National University, he, didn't, he doesn't necessarily spend all his waking hours in Malaysia, whereas Ben does. <laughs> I hope he doesn't, yeah. Would you, would you know what I mean, right? But I think yeah. there's also the other notion that um, we know that Pakata never really expected to win the elections and the kind of like promises they made at the manifesto, now they're going to make good. And it's that mismatch in, in, in execution versus expectations, which is where the uh, disenchantment among the Malay, uh, youthful Malay, even the non-Malay uh, voters are, are starting to creep in. And like Ben said, you know, maybe the non-Malay youths might not be so willing to vote Barisan, despite the lethargy, perceived or otherwise, of the reform agenda. Okay, we, I'm sure we'll be keeping you posted as to uh, the happenings on Semini uh, from tomorrow onwards. And uh, let's look at uh, some other business news here, and this is pro- probably part of the legacy of the pre- previous government, FGV posted its earning results uh, for 2018. Uh, One billion loss this is the biggest loss ever. Yeah, that is not small, right? Uh, revenue also fell to 13.5 billion ringgit, down nearly from nearly 17. So clearly a lot of, clearly a lot of things, lower average CPO prices, impairments and provisions of over 1 billion ringgit. And um, I mean, when they talked to FGV CEO Haris Fazila Hassan, he said plantation operations in the fourth quarter were focused on plugging leaks, revising processes, implementing new controls to bring up performance in the estates in line with other large players. So all those three or four little uh, data points are very, very telling of the states and health of FGV. So uh, they have also just appointed uh, the, the new CEO. Um, and the question is going to be asked here whether uh, you know things will change from here for FGV and indeed for the nation, right? Uh, because this part of Felda, I think, is, is, it, is FGV part of Felda or is it a separate entity? Well, Felda is... Well, there's Felder, right? And Felder's um, investment. Uh, this, this, I think there's three. It's right? a social. Felder yeah, has so, a social mission. So there's Felder Investment, which is the investment. And then there's Felder Global Ventures, which is the listed entity, which is then uh, public shareholders and and other associated entities in there and GLICs. And then there's the, I think there's a third entity. But FGVs is controlled. I think thirty odd thirty three percent by Felder Holdings. Then there's a whole bunch of things which have not even been resolved yet because it's it's just so complicated. Yeah, certainly uh, continues to um, put the spotlight on um, governance as well as the porousness between uh, the government sector and the corporate sector. Um, also pointing uh, to uh, things to come in the, in the economy, CIMB has targeted a loan growth of 6% in 2019. And this also uh, echoes uh, Maybank's recent uh, 5 point something percent number for loan growth this year. Ties in very much uh, to the GDP, GDP numbers provided by uh, you know, Lim Guaning and Ong Ken yeah, and so on. Yeah, kind of. But, you know, CIMB, 6% loans growth target, that's the highest among local banks. And um, I, I mean, and there's no small bank either, the second largest bank in Malaysia. They're not a small bank, yeah. as you say, Joel. So I'm, I'm wondering where this loans growth is going to come from or, or whether or not they're going to be maybe relaxing some of their macro... You know, um, uh, some of their, their 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 guidelines in terms of accepting or rejecting loans, because as we know, the last two or three years, loans growth has been quite moribund, and yeah. that's because the guidelines have been quite strict, imposed by Bank Negara. So we'll have to see.
Absolutely. Okay, um, you're coming up to the ATM news, and after that, there will be a breakfast grill. Kusu Chuang will speak to M. Kulasegaran, Minister of Human Resources. Stay tuned for that. BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.